Howdy. This is the Views from the Shop podcast. I'm your host, your one and only host, Tim Miller. And today, Tuesday, October 10th, 2023, I wish you the happiest of National Hug a Kevin days. If you know a Kevin in your life, give him a hug. Today's show, as always, a part of the big banter sports network you can find their content wherever you get any sports content that includes twitter instagram facebook tiktok youtube and of course big banter sports website as well and by the way since you're here already just so you know you can subscribe to the views from the shop podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you're getting your podcast and you can do it for free I would recommend you do that because as we continue this season preview series, we're going to continue to have great guests like today's guest, Brian Ralph, and many others as well. We've already had Joey Lane. We've got more friends lined up to join the show. So make sure you subscribe to get the best coverage of Ohio State Buckeyes basketball anywhere. Some are saying it. You wouldn't hear it from me, though. So today, we'll talk with Brian Ralph. He, of course, is a big name in the college basketball landscape and helped put together the College Basketball Almanac, something that I have used to help me get prepped for these specific episodes, previewing the Big Ten East and West. Really great content. He knows college basketball really, really, really well. So the insight that he'll be able to give To the six teams that we'll cover today, that's Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, Penn State, Michigan, and another team that I am forgetting, that's Maryland, is the team that I'm forgetting. Those six teams that we'll cover, he knows them very well, along with many other teams in college basketball. So give him a follow on Twitter. All his info will be linked in the episode description as well. So... Let's talk with Brian Ralph. Appreciate you listening today. Again, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast for more great content like today's show. All right. It's Brian Ralph time joining the Views from the Shot podcast. Brian, it's a, it's, he's a first-time visitor, visitor and probably a first-time listener. I won't check you there, but we just got in touch on Twitter um pretty recently and i'm very excited to have you on the show here so brian is a senior national writer for heat check college basketball and host of the heat check hangout bringing you college basketball discussions with some of the brightest stars in the media game he's also a writer for the college basketball almanac which is endorsed by scott van pelt among many others and thousands of other basketball fans around the nation brian thanks for joining us what's been the highlight of your tuesday thus far yeah, thanks for having me having me on. Uh, highlight of my Tuesday so far um, is probably this lovely Dr. Pepper that I'm drinking. It's been a, a, a pretty low key Tuesday so far, uh, but but not many of those left. You know, we got less than a month to the start of the season here, so um, we had a lot of preview stuff crammed into the College Basketball Almanac, which um, highly suggest you you go buy if you have not at cbbalmanac.com. Um, took a little bit of a of a breath after that, but we're getting back in the swing of things, so it's uh, it's a good time. Yeah, awesome. I, I won't ask you if, if your highlight of the day is 
drinking your Dr. Pepper, I won't ask you for your low light of the day. We'll just, we'll move, we'll move right on past that. And we won't traffic in that, in that area. So let's get right into big 10 basketball. So we're covering the big 10 East. I say East with air quotes, because obviously in basketball, there is no big 10 East or West, but in order to split up the conference into two episodes, we're going to take the teams that are in the East for the football conference. So that's how we'll start it. So Brian, We've got, we know that we have six teams to cover. We're not going to cover Ohio State. So we've got six other teams. We're going to cover essentially the 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 six teams, how they, how we see them, project them going into the season, as well as maybe how they match up with Ohio State. But specifically, we're going to cover six teams here in the Big Ten East. Which team do you think we should kick off and start with? Let's kick off with Michigan State because I I think they probably have the highest expect expectations uh, of this group, which are warranted, um, you know, but I, I am probably not, not sold to Michigan State, but maybe a little bit more skeptic than uh, the, the most full hearted believers are. Okay. So take me through it. Cause I'm actually, I'm very high on Michigan state to the point where it's hard for me to not take Michigan state over Purdue at this point. So take me through well, let's let's first intro Michigan State, I guess, before we get there. So obviously last year they finished 21 and 13, fourth in the Big Ten. They got off to a slow start in, in the season, but they were playing teams of the likes of Georgia, Kentucky, Oregon, Alabama, Villanova, maybe the New York Knicks as well were included in there. And as far as the, the schedule goes this year, it's one of the easier in the Big Ten, which works yeah. out well for them. And they get a lot of experience coming back. So I'll, I'll throw it to you to start, like, what concerns you have about Michigan State? Or maybe we start with what you like about Michigan State, and then you go into what concerns you have. But thoughts on Michigan State as a whole? Experience group, right? And I, I think that's the the selling point behind this team is that the core of this group was all together last year. A lot of them were, were playing big minutes together even the year before that. So you're really in the third year of this group and development we saw what they could do last year, making the run in the NCAA tournament um, to the the Sweet 16. Almost, almost had the Elite Eight. They were, um, you know, maybe a couple baskets away there. Um, and I, I think that game, and particularly the fact that they they beat Marquette in the second round, is driving a lot of this hype. Plus, bringing everybody back, obviously, right? Uh, which is, I, I understand that there's the experience there. Um, but I also think there is some semblance of knowing who this group is at this point, right? There isn't necessarily another level for all of these guys or a number of these guys to go hit. At this point in their careers, they're, they're still in college because we know who they are and it's good. You know, like this is certainly a good team. I'm not discounting them as, as not being a top 10 team nationally, top five team nationally, I'm not discounting them at, at that at all. Um, but we there's some semblance of knowing who these guys are right and i have to ask like does the conversation around this team change if they lose to market in that round of 32 game i think it does i still think there is excitement about this team and there should be um but i also think it's worth noting that in the regular season last year um they lost 12 games you know and they're probably not going to lose 12 regular season games again well i guess 11 12 you count the conference tournament um but they're they're not now world beaters because they're another year older. I do think the fact that they have experienced guards is a big factor because guard play around the, the country is down 
and that will matter. They need some more consistency out of that group, but that will matter. Um, I think they're more built for the tournament than the regular season, just because of, of the guards and the experience and the tournament is where we see that matter a lot more. Um, but I, I think there's a better chance Michigan State finishes third that in, in the Big Ten than there's a chance of them finishing first. That's partially because of Purdue, and I know there's not necessarily a great third option, and we might get there later in this episode, in the Big Ten. Um, but I, I do think there's a bit of a gap there between Purdue and Michigan State. Yeah, I think you mentioned the experienced guard play. You've got Tyson Walker, you've got Jaden Atkins, you've got A.J. Hogard, all leading, if not one of the most experienced backcourts in, in college basketball, uh, if not one of the more talented. It's it's up there, obviously, for Michigan State. And then you mentioned the front court, Like, in Big Ten basketball, you've got to be able to bang down low. You look at Purdue and you look at Zach Eady, and I wonder about Michigan State with Mati Sissoko. He can – I think he's a good defensive player. His ability to score consistently for Michigan State is yet to be seen. But really, the only major departure that they're dealing with now is Joey Hauser, which can be a big loss because you have a stretch for a guy who rebounded really, really well for Michigan State as well. Who's going to step up in that area? You've got Xavier Booker, Jeremy Fears, Cohen Carr, all top 50 recruits coming in for Michigan State. I think that's one big hole for them. But I think the schedule also helps them out. I think your point is fantastic that they're better suited for the NCAA tournament than Big Ten play. But their Big Ten schedule is probably the lightest out of any team in the Big Ten. They get Purdue once. They get Indiana once. They get Iowa once. They get Rutgers once. Now, Indiana is... You could say it's about about 10 teams in the Big Ten. They could finish third. They could finish ninth. You never know. But Indiana to only have to play them once. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Purdue to only have to play once obviously is great. We'll see about Iowa. I think Rutgers could be plucky as well. But they'll take on Ohio State as well only once in very late February. And then in the regular season non-conference, they've got Duke. They've got Arizona. They've got Baylor. Three good teams but a little bit lighter on the non-conference as well than what we typically see from Michigan State. So that might hurt them when it comes to resume building come March as well, I think. Perhaps. I, I do think that uh, there will be some semblance of that, but playing in the Big Ten and being the brand of Michigan State doesn't tend to affect those teams as much as it might affect uh, someone like a Rutgers uh, or someone who, who may be in the Big East or something like that. Um, your point about, about Xavier Booker, Jeremy Fears, uh, Cohen Carl throw in there as well. Um, I think they have the ability to raise the ceiling of this group, obviously, particularly Booker, if he can come in and take the starting job away from Sissoko, I think that would be a great thing in, in the perfect world for Michigan State because he can do more from a talent perspective. But there is always a question with um, freshmen, well-talented, who are not projected to be one-and-dones, the ability of them to make an immediate impact, particularly for a coach like Izzo, who certainly has had the, those guys uh, talented enough, but there is a bit of a learning curve to play the way that Izzo wants you to play, particularly on the defensive end, right? Uh, if I'll point to those three. If one or two of them is able to step up and be a uh, – top three, top four option for Michigan State within the first month of the season, then I think we can get into the conversation about, okay, Michigan State is right there with Purdue, potentially knocking off Purdue. But if they're there providing depth, then I, I still think Michigan State's ceiling um, in terms of regular season might be a little bit lower because, again, 
I, none of those guys would be in position to take them from being a really good team to being a great team. They would still just be a really good team. If, if they're taking that next step and being great, you need Booker, Fears, or Carr, or two or three, to be guys and not just productive players. This is going to be a common theme for the entire Big Ten. Michigan State is one team that's like this where we're like, they could be really solid. They could fall to a second to, to getting just one buy in the Big Ten tournament. Who knows? But I think Michigan State is the team that you you look at throughout this Big Ten as one of the most well-equipped to make a run in yes. the NCAA tournament. So we'll see what happens with Michigan State. Very experienced. If you're it, Again, this is just a primer on the Big Ten. So if you're thinking about Michigan State, you're thinking – very experienced, probably pretty talented front court or sorry, back court. And you're also thinking this is a team that overall well coached Tom Izzo, good recruits coming in. It's just, it's your classic Michigan state team. So that's Michigan state on one end of the spectrum. I'm going to take, this is what we call in, in show business and also in other types of business. This is a pattern interrupt. We're going to go for Michigan state and I'm just going to, I'm going to knock the hinges off of this right now. And we're going to go to Penn state. If there is one question mark in, in in the Big Ten, I can tell you it is not this, and it's not where Penn State is going to finish. I'm sorry. I've said it during the offseason. I feel bad for Penn State. They had so much promise last season, and then everything is gone. It, it's it's incredible. Let me just let me list this off. Micah Shrewsbury heading to Notre Dame, their head coach. Jalen Pickett scored 17, 18 points per game, six and a half assists per game, which was fifth in the NCAA, gone. Seth Lundy. 37th and three-point percentage in the NCAA, gone. Andrew Funk, 21st in the NCAA in three-point percentage, gone. Cameron Winter, 8.9 points per game, gone. Miles Dredd, five and a half points per game, gone. And Evan Mahaffey, now joining Ohio State, also gone. They have nine newcomers on this team along with their head coach. I think I've made my, my thoughts on Penn State clear. I feel bad for them. Am I wrong to feel bad for Penn State and to just say this team is finishing 14th in the Big Ten? You are not wrong to feel bad for them. Um, I think they will definitely finish in the bottom third of the league. Um, I do not know if they will finish in last, although that is probably the most likely outcome. I really like Mike Rhodes as a coach. Um, I think he can be successful there. I'll stop short of saying he will be successful because we've seen other good coaches falter at Penn State because of uh, just – some of the things that go into Penn State as a basketball program, right? Their, their, their tradition isn't there, pedigree isn't there. The one thing that Shrewsbury did was play a very distinct style that he was able to recruit to and identify to high-level players to fit that system, right? And Jalen Pickett was obviously a major, major part of that, and he parlayed that into a bigger payday at Notre Dame. Rhodes doesn't have that same kind of uh, unique system. He's going to bring some of that the defense from VCU, and I think Ace Baldwin, who followed him there, the reigning A-10 player of the year, is going to be a very good player in the Big Ten. And I, I like some of the pieces that that he brought into as well. Um, I like what Puff Johnson can do from UNC. Um, it's probably – I think he's going to be a better position now to make an impact than he was at UNC, just given everything that happened at UNC last year. Um, Kudus Wahab, we know what he is, but he is a, can be a, a reliable big man. Uh, in a power conference, he's not going to do anything crazy. Um, the ceiling is not there with this group, right? Like, they're not one of these high-variance teams. They're going to be bad. It's just a matter of how bad. I think there's enough, particularly with maybe how bad the, the bottom of the Big Ten might be, for them to 
creep up a little bit. Um, but you look at this team and, and to your point, it's pretty obvious that they, they're projected to be 14. My optimism comes from believing Mike Rhodes as a coach and, and thinking that, well, maybe he can get the most out of some of these talented guys, but they are, um, it's an uphill battle for Penn State for sure. Yeah, I think you, you look at Ace Baldwin, he could be the best player on the team. Puff Johnson as well, coming from North Carolina. Out of all of these new arrivals for Penn State, those are the only two either with meaningful minutes and a lot of playing time or some kind of accolades coming from a mid-major in VCU where Penn State's now grabbing two players from VCU who are following Mike Rhodes. This is a team that, at the end of the day, like you said, the potential probably is not there. I mean, their leading returning scorer is Kanye Clary, who averaged 3.7 points per game. For comparison's sake, for Ohio State, Tanner Holden averaged 3.6 points per game last season. So Buckeye fans remember the the headaches with Tanner Holden being on the team and wanting more from him. That could be Ohio State's leading scorer this season if it were a different alternative universe or something like that. So overall, yeah, I mean, this is a team that's going to look so different. Last year, they're so fun to watch. They're so good offensively. They moved the ball. It was beautiful basketball at times, and they made it all the way to the Big Ten Tournament Championship game before falling to Purdue. So it was a really impressive season for Penn State, one of the best ever in the school's history. And now heading into this season, they've got one of the lighter non-conference schedules in the Big Ten with AM, Butler, FAU as well will be included in there. Luckily for Ohio State, I say luckily, hopefully this is true, but Ohio State will take on Penn State twice. I think that it probably won't be too much of a concern for the Buckeyes taking on Penn State. So we're we're kind of on the same page here where we 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 would pencil Penn State in being at the bottom of the Big Ten. I would pencil them in. Actually, I would pen them in at number 14. So I I, I don't want to be a hater. Again, like all respect in the world for what Penn State did last year. It's just tough. It's Penn State. It's not a marquee school. When you do have something going, the head coach is going to leave. People are going to transfer out and find better opportunities and all those types of things. And they just met the perfect storm with that this season. So uh, we went from a high with Michigan State, a low to Penn State. Where do you want to go next here, Brian, with the other teams uh, that we've got here in the East? Let's, um, <clears throat> you brought up Indiana before. Let's go to Indiana because I, I think they're another one of these teams that has uh, incredibly high variance, both in terms of likely outcomes and perception of them coming into the season um is there the potential for indiana to be good and, and crack into the top three in the league yes how likely do i think that is not very likely at all. um I, I look at this roster and there's talent but your talent comes from essentially three guys who are asking to play one and a half positions, right? With, with Khalil Ware, Renew, uh, and, and Mackenzie, uh, the, the freshman whose last name I can never pronounce. Um, you're you're going to be asking one of them to play the three. And you may not get a good four out of them, right? Like Ware, Ware and Renew probably have to play center because neither of them can stretch the four. Um, I, I don't know how this is going to work. It, it's going to be some old time throwback basketball from 
uh, from Mike Woodson and company. And I don't think they have the shooting from the backcourt to even like worry about trying to space it out. It, it's, it's, I think there's real potential that it's ugly. You're kind of relying on Xavier Johnson to be your perimeter production. And he has been incredibly erratic throughout his career. Um, Indiana fans will point to this 10 game stretch at the end of two seasons ago when he played really, really well when Indiana went on that run, big 10 tournament, and then uh, made to, made it to the second round of the 2022 NCAA tournament when he was playing the best basketball of his career. That's not who he is. We have essentially four years of another, of another sample size of him being incredibly erratic turnovers, poor shooting. Um, I just don't, I don't see it with, with this group. I think they're probably looking at most likely scenario middle of the Big Ten finish. I think there's a, a chance they finish in the bottom half of the conference. And I think that they finish in the bottom half is more likely than they finish third or fourth and are in there. I, I think this is a team with with very real flaws because of the lack of spacing and shooting. Yeah, I believe this is a team that was picked to finish seventh by the Big Ten media that came in. I think maybe yesterday that vote came in. I think they're picked to finish seventh and I think it's fair. Like, again, this is another team with a lot of variance. You lose an all American type player in trace Jackson Davis, who averaged 21 and 11. You lose Jalen hood, Shafino who lit up Ohio state. He went six of nine from three scored 24 points um, in the game at Indiana last season. So, and you're, you're right. You're, you're leaning on, and you're also leaning on players who are unproven. Uh, McKenzie Mbako, who Ohio State fans are familiar with because they wanted Ohio State to go get him when he decommitted from Duke. Um, he's a top 10 recruit, but he's also a freshman. And Kalel Ware is an Oregon transfer who was ranked really highly, both as a freshman and now in the transfer class, but he didn't really do anything at Oregon. So the there this this is a team where it kind of reminds me of fantasy football, where you get into now, if, if you're not big into fantasy, I would assume you may be, but they call it the, the RB dead zone where it's like RBs ranked 12 running backs ranked 12 through 20, where it's players who you're just kind of hoping that their potential is going to be there. And you're basically, if you're going to draft one of those guys, you're banking on the fact that they're set up the system they're in the offense they're in the, the opportunity they're going to have is going to get them there. And a lot of times it doesn't work out. And that's why it's called the running back dead zone. That's what I see with Indiana is you're banking on big men, which is hard to do because it's hard to spread the floor at that point. And you're banking on a Xavier Johnson, who's very experienced. I don't know how to articulate it, but I'm not sure if a, an experienced Xavier Johnson is what you want on your basketball team. There's not an X factor. There's not an, an it guy there. I don't think for Indiana. So I don't know. I, I struggle. I, during this off season, I was like, Indiana is going to be, competing for a double buy in the big 10 tournament they're going to be really solid they should be one of the top couple teams in the big 10 now at this point i'm not sure i see it do you see indiana are, are they a shoe in for the ncaa tournament are they a shoe in for the nit are they right on the bubble where do you see them um i'll, I'll say the ncaa tournament bubble just because of the grace uh, that the strength of the big 10 will give them um but I, it, i'm looking at it this way right like they they lost 12 games last year were 12 and eight in the Big Ten. It was good enough for a second in the league, um, but we're 12 and eight in the Big Ten last year. 
you are, I'll, I'll buy that you are, you can replace Race Thompson with Lee Grand. Um, I'll, I'll buy that, that, but you're losing your best shooter in Miller Cop. You're losing a top 20 guard, a top 20 NBA draft pick guard in Jalen Hood-Safino, hoping Xavier Johnson just takes that over. Um, and you're losing one of the best players in program history and Trace Jackson Davis. And you're trying to replace him with a five-star freshman. You're going to you're gonna have to play out of position and a former five-star prospect who made no impact on a game when he played at Oregon. I have a hard time believing this team will be better and not significantly worse, right? Like, I think it's very real that they finished sub 500 in conference play, if not a couple games below 500 in conference play. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a possibility. I don't know if this team makes the the NCAA tournament. If they do, I, I, I maybe they're playing in Dayton on that first right. that first week before you even get to the weekend. I don't know. Before we move on with this Big Ten East preview, we've got to talk about college basketball analytics. That's cbbanalytics.com. Now, I always start by asking you politely to go to cbbanalytics.com. Why? Just check it out. Click around a little bit. Tap around if you may. You can find some free stats there. But the really, really good stuff, the things that I get that coach Chris Holtman and the Ohio State staff gets, that's when you sign up for a profile. You can use the code SHOT to get your first month free. That's code SHOT, S-C-H-O-T-T, short for Schottenstein Center, of course. You can use the code SHOT to get one month free for an annual subscription. I highly recommend you do it because it is the best database for college basketball analytics you can think of it as pff for college basketball but better if you're familiar with pff for the nfl and for college football highly analytical a lot of really cool grading and and scores and stats there but it's nothing like what college basketball analytics has you can see player profiles you can see where players are good and bad shooting from the floor you can see these different heat maps you can compare offensive and defensive efficiency you can find stats that you have never heard of before on college basketball analytics this will allow you to be the smartest college basketball fan in the room and potentially in the state depending on where you are so reach out Go to collegebasketballanalytics.com. That's cbbanalytics.com. Use the code SHOT to get your first month free. Another school that I would say definitely is very, very volatile at this point is Michigan. And I think Michigan is a team that is at risk right now of falling off the, the platform that they've been on over the past several years of being a real contender in the Big Ten. Last season, it was very ugly at times. They lost Arizona State. They lost to Central Michigan. They were fighting against a bunch of Mac schools. Just go back and, and look at their schedule. It, it wasn't pretty. They lose Hunter Dickinson. They lose Kobe Bufkin. They lose Jet Howard. They've got a nice transfer portal class coming in. George Washington the third, obviously a decommit from Ohio State. He's wearing number 40, so we know he's not going to be a threat as a, as a point guard in college basketball. Um, and of course, the returning whenever he he's ready from his heart surgery, Juwan Howard um, and his hands, which you may catch, will also return uh, to the Michigan uh, court sideline, whatever you want to call it this year. So this is a team, again, that I think 
is close to potentially falling off a, a very, very dangerous cliff here. Um, they're mm-hmm. losing a lot, and I'm not sure that the additions that they've got coming in are, are, are going to be all that uh, pertinent for, for them having success this season. So how do you view Michigan um, as a basketball team this year? This is going to be, and again, we'll see what happens with John Howard's health and when he's back and, and the capacity with which he's back. Um, assuming he's able to to come back fully healthy at some point, be as involved as you would expect a, a, a normal head coach to be. This is going to be the test of how good the coach he is. Early on in his tenure, he was very successful, and there are people who, you know, right or wrongly, he was winning with um, with John Beeline's players, right? Still winning, and then these as his tenure has gone on, they they've gotten a little bit worse. Um, this to me is the year where we find out if, if he can stabilize things and show some of that coaching acumen he we, we think he showed early in his tenure or if this program really is kind of backsliding because there is there are talented pieces here um Damari Burnett was a five-star prospect he kind of got buried at Alabama in the guard heavy system but was productive at times um transferred out from Texas Tech where he first committed I think halfway through through that season so uh, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there. there. There's still some talent there. Doug McDaniel showed some flashes last year. Who's back? Um, Olivier Kamwa from Tennessee showed flashes, particularly in the NCAA tournament, of being uh, elite potentially. And that was, those were very small flashes, but you can. It's easy to, to project a step forward from him, given what what they showed. Those three to me are the key because those are the only three or at least the, the three that have shown the ability to be the guy or, or have flashed the ability to be a, a go-to guy. Nobody else on this team really has. I'm not going to rely too much on Jalen Llewellyn um, coming back um, and, and, and being that guy because um, that's the problem with this team. I think there's, there's some decent players, but there is not that top-end talent. One of those three or a couple of those three need to become those top 10 talents. If Michigan is going to get back to being near the top of the Big Ten. Um, and, and to me, some of that's going to come on coaching and finding at least a, a baseline playing level for this group. Yeah, and and one other thing for Michigan is their schedule isn't going to do them any favors. They've got St. John's, Rick Patino, I shrug at you. Memphis, I, I shrug at them. Oregon is fine. Florida, eh. So the non-conference schedule, like they're going to have to beat the teams that they're, they're going to need to beat. They're going to have to pick up a nice a couple of nice wins in the non-conference. And then when it comes to Big Ten play, they've got Purdue and Michigan State twice. So they'll have the chance there. They've got Ohio State twice as well. So the the I don't think the schedule is necessarily going to help them out a lot. I think it's going to – Michigan's success is going to be twofold. It's going to be number one based on Juwan Howard and what he can do with this group. Like you mentioned, I think that's a really good point, that this can either prove that he can be an elite coach or – essentially show mm, he's going to be average as a head coach in college. And then you also look at Doug McDaniel, who has a lot of experience from last season. He did show some flashes, like you said. So that's another player who I who I think it really comes down to what can Jawan Howard do? What can Doug McDaniel do? They've Again, they've got a nice transfer portal class. You mentioned it. So we'll see with Michigan. It seems like another really volatile team. It feels unwise to to underestimate them, but then again, it feels like it's about it, if this same roster in this same situation is Rutgers, 
or Iowa, you're like, or Nebraska, like this team is finishing 10th in the Big Ten and on the outside looking in the NCAA tournament. So we'll see what happens with Michigan. Uh, what team do you want to go to next? Let's touch on Rutgers. You, you just brought them up. Um, speaking of rosters that could finish like 10th in the Big Ten, kind of Rutgers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like um, I, I think the loss of Paul Mulcahy kind of unexpectedly put them back. I, I know they're doing some good things on the recruiting trail and brought in a lot of really good um, freshmen, and, and it looks like they're going to continue to do so with the 2024 class. So, like, C. Pikel isn't, isn't going anywhere, and I don't think this program is going anywhere. This might be a step back year. We also know what to expect from them because we, we know at the very least they're going to play elite defense. And I still believe that uh, going to the, the place formerly known as the Rack is – going to be tough for Big Ten teams to, to go into. I, I think Rutgers will will still be solid. The bottom is not going to fall out from this group, particularly when you have Cliff Amiuri inside. But we thought offense was was scarce Rutgers the past couple of years. Uh, I don't know where that's coming from this year, right? Like they're going to be in those ultimate rock fight, 45 to 40 kind of games. That's where they're going to try and get teams and how they're going to try to win. And you're not going to win many games that way without the kind of offensive firepower that, that Rutgers has. Um, I know there's hope that Noah Fernandez can become that guy and kind of carry them offensively. And you're going to ask for Amayuri to be a little bit more of an offensive force. Um, but to me, this is about establishing that baseline and, and kind of hoping for next season when those, those freshmen come in and potentially some really high level freshmen um, next year and, and laying the foundation for, for that. Yeah, Rutgers is a really interesting program. They were very, very upset about not making the NCAA tournament, which they played their way out of last season. And they also played teams with the likes of Sacred Heart, UMass Lowell, apparently just UMass main campus turned them down. Central Connecticut State. I mean, they just, they rampaged the region of New England. Not cool, but whatever. Like, so they're upset that they don't make it in. And then that's the schedule that they they go with. And and then they lost to Hofstra in the NIT, and and sometimes the jokes just write themselves in, in that case. But Rutgers as a program, like, they're on their way up at this point. They lose three of their top five scorers, but they come in and they get Gavin Griffiths, who's the number one recruit, the highest-rated recruit in Rutgers history, number 67 nationally. You mentioned the class of 2024. Ace Bailey is the number three recruit in the nation who's pledged to Rutgers. So – Things you feel like they're on the way up for Rutgers, but this is a team similar to Lee to Michigan that they're going to have to win games in non-conference and hope that those non-conference wins mean something by the time March comes around. They played Georgetown. That might as well be a mid-major, if not a community college at this point. Um, not to put them down too much, but until they prove something, it's it's hard to have any faith in Georgetown. They play Wake Forest. Seton Hall, Mississippi State. Seton Hall is really the only team where you're like, okay, that win we know for sure is going to be a pretty solid win come March. So um, the good thing for Ohio State, maybe, is that they start Big Ten play with Rutgers and they end Big Ten play with Rutgers. So that could be interesting for the Buckeyes. But overall, this is a team losing some production for sure. But a team that finished 19 and 15 last season just missing out on the NCAA tournament and not losing a whole lot. You mentioned Noah Fernandez as well. Maybe who could, he, he can play really well and help out Rutgers. And then, of course, you've got a guy who averaged 13 and 10 last season in Clifford 
Amoriu, uh, however you pronounce his last name, I, I, I attempted and I shouldn't have. Um, but whatever Clifford O is, is what we'll call him. Um, big red too, maybe because he, he, he plays, uh, for uh, a red team. Um, but I mean, overall, like this is a team that has some pieces, but like you said, the offense, that's going to be a big question. The depth, I think is going to be in question in the schedule as well. It's not going to do them favors. And when you play in a conference like the big 10, where there's so many teams on the bubble at the end of every season, you've got to at least have some quality wins in there some quad one wins, things like that. And I'm not sure how many of those Rutgers is going to have this season. Maryland, last school we're going to cover here in our Big Ten East preview last season. They started 8-0 and essentially went through the season beating teams that in all reality they were supposed to beat and losing to teams that they probably were supposed to lose to NCAA tournament. They beat, I think, West Virginia in the first round. They lose to Alabama in the second round. That's kind of what you would expect with a team like Maryland. However, the expectations for this team this year across Big Ten pundits, national media members, pretty high for Maryland. So what's your take on Maryland at this point? You're looking for the third best team in the Big Ten. It's Maryland outside of uh, outside of Purdue and um and Michigan State, I, I think it's Maryland over a team like Illinois. Um, part of that is because of the way they overachieved last year. Kevin Willard's first year there, there, there were no real expectations coming in, which is why that 8 no start, particularly with who they beat in that 8 no start, was so surprising. Um, <clears throat> then they they went through the, the Kevin Willard swoon that all Kevin Willard teams go through, where there is a stretch of a couple of weeks for every team Kevin Willard coaches where they start out really hot, go through like a two and six stretch and then come back and start playing at a really high level again. All his teams at Seton Hall did that. His team at Maryland did that. I fully expect that to happen again. People will get really high on Maryland early. Then they'll wonder what's wrong with Maryland. They're just kind of fake. And then they'll go back to playing at a pretty high level by the end of the season. And that's it's just what Kevin Ruler teams do. Um, but you, we, we've talked about trios um, with some of these past teams. I think Maryland has – Certainly one of the most experienced, but one of the most productive and consistent ones. Jameer Young leads that in the backcourt. Transfer from Charlotte, uh, who last year was one of the, I, I think, best guards in the Big Ten. Um, one of the better guards at our conference level. Uh, he comes in, he should be a first-team conference performer. Uh, he's the kind of guy who can create for others, create shots for himself off the bounce. He's a, a really dangerous guy that opponents have to worry about all the time he's got the ball in his hands and he's one of the few in the big 10 who are like that um and we talked earlier about michigan state's guards and their experience all very good guards jameer young is a little bit different in the sense that um how he creates for himself and gets everything off the bounce michigan state's guards are good at that jameer young is great at that and that gave maryland an added dimension last year that was part of the reason why they were surprisingly successful uh, Dante Scott, Julian Reese down low, uh, having both of them back is huge. They're going to hold up against the Big Ten front courts, uh, pose some problems, particularly Scott with his ability to, to face up on the perimeter. Um, if Reese can stay out of foul trouble, that may help some things too. <laughs> Maybe he's done that with a, a getting nearly older. Um, questions for, for this group are depth, but they also weren't deep last year. So if you're not asking them to make uh, a run at a Big Ten title, uh, or make a long NCAA tournament run, 
I don't really have any concerns about this group. I think they will be solid. I think they'll be a solid team in the in the top tier, probably in that tier two, again, behind Purdue and Michigan State. Um, make fancy tournament, maybe win a game, maybe two, depending on how things sit up in the, in the seed they get. Um, like, to me, that that's a pretty solid, reliable outcome for this team. I don't know, don't know how much more there is than that. I think they may need one of the freshmen, uh, maybe the Sean Harris-Smith, to, to step up and, and be a star for that to happen. But I also don't think um, the floor is much lower than that. Yeah, I think the, the hype with Maryland, I think, is legit. Their departures, Hakeem Hart goes to Villanova. You've got Ian Martinez transferring out to Utah State, which seems a little obscure, but that's fine. And then the the additions that they've got, along with everyone they're retaining, they have a top 30 recruit coming in with Deshaun Harris-Smith and Jordan Geronimo, who at least has Big Ten playing experience. Whatever he may be as a player, we don't know. Uh, well, I think we do know. He doesn't have the most the, the highest ceiling out there, but he has Big Ten playing experience. And Jameer Young, you're right about him in that. He's not like the Michigan State recruits in that he's actually like he shows his skill. He's got some Terrence Shannon Jr. in him potentially and that he can create off the dribble. He can't. He does have a little bit of bounce and athleticism. So that that in it of itself is going to really allow Maryland to get pushed forward a little bit. And then, of course, Julian Reese as well. Like you've got Julian Reese and you've got Jameer Young. Like that's a really, really good duo within the Big Ten that can compete with. I don't know. I'll take them over Fletcher Lawyer and Zach Eady simply because you have two pretty skilled players over um, a tall guy and um, a, a solid player. Um, that's my take on Zach Eady, and, and it may not be popular, but whatever. Um, he's a good college player, though. That's that's why he's still here and didn't go to the NBA. Um, but I mean, overall, like Maryland as a team with their talent, I think it's it's definitely good enough, and and their schedule is going to help them out as well. They've got Villanova, they've got UCLA, just like Ohio State does. They'll have either UAB or Clemson. So those that'll help a little bit. But as far as Big Ten play, they play Ohio State once. They play Purdue once. They play Wisconsin once. We know what Purdue's going to be. I think Wisconsin's going to be a pretty solid team too. So when you get just the difference of getting Minnesota or getting Nebraska twice instead of getting Nebraska once and Wisconsin twice, I mean, that could end up getting you an additional win throughout the season, depending on how things go. So I think, yeah, Maryland – they finished fifth in the big 10 last season. They don't lose a lot. They have actual dynamic threats, which is why if you're going to pick a team that you mentioned, you're a little bit lower on Michigan state. If you're going to pick a team to finish above Michigan state, I would be okay with picking a team like Maryland because Jameer young is more dynamic. He can score. He can, he can distribute the ball. He can really do more things. Whereas Michigan state is more so like just play within the system that Tom Izzo gives you and good things will happen. So I think you can do a little bit more freelance with that type of talent as well. So Maryland will be an interesting team. I think they're going to be pretty solid as well. Any other thoughts on Maryland that you would add? Uh, the only thing is that the home court advantage that Maryland has is very real. And and that we've, we've seen that other teams, the big time, other teams in the country, that'll boost your record and get you a couple of wins that you may not get otherwise because of that home court advantage. I think that that raises the floor for this group as well. Um, but I, I can't let that Zach Eady thing go. Isaac, Isaac, Haas is, Isaac Haas was just tall, okay? Like, <laughs> there are tall guys who have not done what, what Zach Eady has done. And he is that tall, and he uses it to his advantage. Like, he's 
the nation's most dominant player. I my my only argument, and and I wish I could say it's like half and just it's really not, but when you watch Zach Eady specifically against Ohio State, and Ohio State has Zed Key, who is injured and not playing, Felix Akpara, who has three fouls within the first couple minutes. They're now throwing a walk-on out there at Zach Eady, along with a 6-6 forward in Eugene Brown, who has since transferred away from Ohio State. And they, for at least a few minutes, contained him pretty well. Now, he still got went out and got his. My argument, by nature of him being 7-4, again, my argument is, if he were that good, he wouldn't be at Purdue anymore. If he were that good, he would have went to the NBA. Whatever feedback he got from scouts or whatever, you saw his ability to finish at the rim. I'm just saying there are some players who are who are better at finishing at the rim specifically than Edie was. And yeah, he's tall. Yeah, he can rebound really well. Like that's all fine and dandy. Um, but if I'm gonna give the the award to the player who's supposed to be the most outstanding in college basketball last season. I cannot give it to Zach Eady. I'm going to give it most likely uh, to a list of maybe 10 other guards that I can, that I can think of, but that's fine. We can, we can talk. If you want to come back for the big 10 West episode, you can, we can talk Purdue and Zach Eady. Um, I, but I, I will say I'm, I'm not defending Purdue and their struggles with smaller teams, considering what happened at, at the end. Purdue has, has their own set of issues. All I'm saying with Zach Eady is yeah, he's that tall. He knows how to use it. We've had other players in the in the country who have been similarly tall and have been nowhere near the production that he has had. The NBA thing is a little bit more about the NBA and, and some stuff with, with the NBA and, and devaluing big men, plus the money you can get in college now. But, um, you know, I, 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 I think we can say that Edie is not this world beater, um, but he's also still a very, very good. Edie, Edie is a phenomenal college basketball player. I, I think my my argument is, is always that he's not in the NBA, and it is by nature of, of the NBA, the way that it plays now. If you don't have any range, you could be eight feet tall. It doesn't matter. Like, if all you can do is have your back to the basket, then the NBA doesn't value that as much. But as a college basketball player, yes, he, he's obviously phenomenal. Um, let me get one more take from you here before we head out. We've talked about a few Big Ten East teams in quotes um yep. which team are you taking if if there is a theoretical big 10 east which team are you taking to win the big 10 east this year i would still take michigan state um you know i i think the value of having the the experience and the core group is going to carry further this year than in the past years i think it always gives teams a boost at the start of the season when there are other programs breaking in new players both how much turnover there there has been this offseason and other teams that are breaking in new pieces. Um, I think we might see that sustained longer, which gives the freshmen more time to get up to speed for Michigan State. I would still take Michigan State. I know I spent the first part of this kind of saying they're not as good as Michigan State optimists think, and I, I think that's true. Maryland, I think, is those the only other team in the in this East that can that can top them. Um, I think Ohio State's going to have a bounce back year, but I think Ohio State is still probably third in the pecking order. We'll put Ohio State ahead of Indiana, but um, of, of these seven, I think we're looking at, at Michigan State slightly ahead of Maryland. Although, if we don't see some growth from from Michigan State's guards, or if Xavier Booker can't really be a factor inside, um, it'd be very easy for Maryland to jump over Michigan State. Yeah, for sure. I think 
that that was going to be my next question as well as how would you compare Ohio State to the teams in the Big Ten East? I would take Michigan State as well as the team to win the East. If that were a thing, I would put Maryland second and I would probably potentially put Ohio State at third. We mm-hmm. it's tough to see how they'll match up against Indiana. Indiana is such a wild card. And then I'm not too worried about Michigan, honestly, at this point. Rutgers, again, I think could be plucky, but I think expectations are high for Ohio State this year. They should be in the top half of a Big Ten East if there were one. But, Brian, appreciate you joining today. We've plugged your your Twitter already and, and all the different things that you're working on. Anything else that you'd like to plug um, or or share or brag about at this point before we part ways? No, I, I would just encourage you, if you're a college basketball fan or know a college basketball fan, make sure you you purchase the CBB Almanac if you have not yet. It is uh, the most comprehensive uh, preview publication out there, uh, in-depth analysis on on all 362 teams, uh, not just not just power conferences. We have the same amount of depth, depth on Chicago State that we do on Ohio State. I know because I did the Chicago State preview, uh, and there actually is some hope for Chicago State this year, which is interesting. Um, but you, you can get that at cbbalmanac.com. So highly encourage you to check that out. Also check out all the stuff we're going to have coming out on hechecksbb.com. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Brian. Yeah, check out the the uh, the college basketball almanac. I mean, it's it's insanely like like Brian said, it's very deep, and it's essentially like imagine what we do for Ohio State basketball here with the views from the shot podcast, but it's for every single team. It, it, it's incredible. Um, help me get prepped for this for this specific uh, podcast episode, and um, we'll continue to use it. It's fun reading as well. So. Um, but Brian, appreciate you joining today uh, on the Views from the Shop podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Appreciate sure. it.